Welcome everybody to the Too High Podcast. I am Seth Kalina alongside Deontay Lee and we have a very special guest with us. PFF COO, former Notre Dame Irishman, Austin Collinsworth is with us. Uh, so very excited to... Oh, oh, oh no, sorry. I think... Sorry, this is Austin Gale. Okay, oh, I made a mistake there. We, um, well, that sucks, actually. Uh, we have Austin Gale with us today on the Two High Podcast. Austin, what's going on? Doing well, man. Honestly, you know, Notre Dame, that school sounds awful. I mean, I don't want to, I mean, from what I've heard, you know, no, no girls allowed in the dorms. I mean, it's probably super expensive. I mean, I don't envy Austin Collinsworth. I'm sorry I couldn't live up to the hype here, but um, I, I'm happy I did not go to Notre Dame, but I'm not happy I'm not the COO, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think when we talk about personality types, the, the person who goes to San Diego State is probably about as far as you can get from the <laughs> yeah. kind of person who would want to go to Notre Dame. Dude, I mean, you hear, I don't remember who the player was, right, who was talking about how he decommitted from Notre Dame after he found out, like, you could not, like, invite women into your dorm. I don't, I apologize for not remembering the player, but, like, that is a legit reason, right? I mean, that's, like, insane, right? I mean, it's just a very insane premise to go to Notre Dame and like have that vibe. I mean, it's a reason why Mike Renner is the monster he is now, right? He couldn't let it out in college. <laughs> right. like, if you don't, <laughs> exactly. If you don't like, you know, light it up in college and like get through some of these mistakes, you end up being a 31 year old bachelor who lives on the banks of Cincinnati. That's where Mike Renner's at right now. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what 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 the explanation is for Seth in, in his situation. There is no explanation. <laughs> it, it's funny you mentioned Renner because you know you talk about where he is in his life now, and I don't know if you remember this, Austin, but we were hanging out at the banks in Cincinnati for the when I was there in the summer, and it was my first time being there. And the banks is like basically this strip between the the baseball stadium and the football stadium, and uh, so we we're, we're having a good time. We're, we're we're you know having some libations, having a good time. But it's like a loud area, like a very party friendly, uh, you know, frat boy type. It's like of, a bar strip. Right? It's a bar strip, right? It's like yeah. twenty. You're, you're twenty. You're, you're hanging out there, mm-hmm. and then I noticed there was like apartments like on top of the strip, <laughs> and I was like, and I was talking to you, and I was like, what kind of fucking loser would live here? And you're like, that's, and you're like, that's Renner's apartment right there. Renner has lived at that apartment, I think, for the last like two or three years, dude. Like he like legitimately loves that place. He is thinking about moving and settling down as he gets to 32, 33 years old. But uh, that was a, I do remember that. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. people, right, who are like, man, I would never live down here. Like you're right above the bars. They're open till three. And Renner's like, dude, come on up, dude. <laughs> after party at my place. No, but uh, I love Brenner. I'm always making jokes. Dude. That guy's got the life, dude. He's got former bachelorette contestant or whatever it is. This guy's living the dream. He, he really is. Um, let, let's actually stick on Notre Dame as a theme here because you and uh, Mr. Mike Renner went on a tailgate tour. Your podcast is called PFF Tailgate. You guys went on a tailgate tour. I was a part of it for one week in South Bend uh, at Indiana. So we just got to kind of want your thoughts on all the places you went to, top places, bottom places, in a segment I like to call Places Mike Renner Has Taken a Shit. Uh, and that is sponsored by Western and Southern. Stop. Uh, want, a chance, want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al Michaels or Mike Tirico on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. 
Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is Western and Southern, sorry, westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Okay, so favorite places you went to uh, this season as part of the tailgate tour? I have a few things there. One, you call it the PFF tailgate. It is just tailgate. It's just tailgate. So you brought up Austin Collinsworth at the top here. We were pitching names on like what we wanted to rebrand our podcast to because it was formerly like two for one drafts and we wanted to move away from like a draft, whatever. Well, we were like, oh, what about the tailgate? And he's like, drop the the, like the Facebook. <laughs> You're like from social network. He's like, drop the the. And I was like, fuck, dude. All right, I'm in. <laughs> like Austin Collinsworth with a, uh, with a massive contribution to the podcast. But uh, and the other thing, I'm usually the one on the tailgate or I almost called it tail- on tailgate where I read those ads. So hearing you step in to, to do the ad reads is pretty impressive as well. Favorite trips, man. I mean, the one you were on was awesome. We went up to South Bend. It was the Cincinnati Notre Dame game. Uh, Mike Renner like literally shit his pants. It was like <laughs> it was an insane trip, dude. It was an insane trip, start to finish. Um, he also like hated me at that game because I was diehard Bearcats. Baby. Yeah, you were wearing the the Kelsey jersey. Yeah, the Travis Kelsey jersey. So I, and he like had to like leave at half because they were getting blown out. Uh, he had to like take a lap because he was so upset at me. But uh, it was a, that was a fun one, right? Getting you in there was cool. In terms yeah. of like location, though, I mean, like, dude, Penn State for the fucking wideout was absolutely insane, dude. Like that is if that is not on your bucket list and you have seen a football, I don't care if you watch it, like you've seen the ball, that is a mistake because it is so. It was electric, dude. It was something I've never seen before. They were louder. I swear to God, they are louder, honestly, than any. NFL, like I went to a lot of Raiders games. I'm from Oakland and had season tickets. Any of the Raider game, bef- an hour before it started, dude, they were packed into that stadium. We were in the press box, like getting food or whatever, and they were screaming, chanting, singing an hour before this game starts. Like it was that, that wideout was legitimately insane from an atmosphere perspective. Uh, big fan of that one. I think the Alabama trip was insane. Alabama, why Alabama recruits differently? The sorority strip, we talked about girls in the dorms, sorority strip is in front of the football stadium. It's like you walk out of the stadium, the sorority strip's right there. It's just like this atmosphere like where the entire town is college. Like everyone there is going to the school. Everyone there is supporting the school. It's a, it's a crazy atmosphere there too. And the tailgate scene there was insane. I think worst trips, I hate to say it to you, Seth, but honestly, when we went to Death Valley, it was grim. I mean, they were – wanting him out this was the florida lsu game that they surprisingly won but talking to a lot of the people there that were tailgating which was very slim there were not a lot of people at this game you know they're like oh man he's got to get fired we want napier we want fickle it was a very i mean we were expecting this big pageantry right of lsu but it was it was pretty grim and i think we went to kentucky that game stunk i mean kentucky doesn't have shit i mean that was kentucky lsu right yeah that was kentucky lsu where like kentucky's not a big tailgate scene either but um well, that's why that's why the Baton Rouge tailgate sucked because they had just lost to Kentucky the week before. Ex- like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I and I do feel and I do feel that you know like you can't grade every tailgate. It depends on how good the team is, right? Like if going back to Baton Rouge when they're going to be like in the running, right, with Brian Kelly and his family, I think is going to be <laughs> a, I think it's going to be a better time. But I mean, the top tailgates I think I'll highlight were 
Alabama, Penn State, Ann Arbor. When they we were there for Ohio State, it was absolutely absurd. One of the craziest, one of the craziest weekends of my goddamn life up there in Ann Arbor when they won that Ohio State game. And then probably bottom tailgates were probably Kentucky and LSU, just because the teams were not obviously all that great. I mean, to yeah. me, you know, Sorry. as a West Coast kid, I mean, all the all the Big Ten night games, those are all the bucket list items. So, playing, going to the Shoe, going to Ann Arbor, going to Pence, going to Happy Valley, and seeing all those games in those nighttime atmospheres, you know, especially because they're they're relatively rare mm -hmm. um, in the Big Ten. Those are all high on the bucket list. Um, I would say I've never done a tailgate experience at SC, but SC's really not built for that so much, you know, I mean, the, the campus being right in the middle of Inglewood, you know, it's so congested, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to that. But the Coliseum, when SC is good, that's probably, that's still probably the best experience on the West Coast. Um, Seth, is there any other college, you know, experience that maybe you have or would like to have that you haven't come across yet? The, the, uh, before I answer, I want to ask Austin if he remembers the press box food at Nippert Stadium. Oh, when we went to see Cincinnati versus Temple. Oh my god, I forgot. I forgot Just about like that. Boiled, oh my gosh, boiled, it, boiled hamburgers. Dude, don't. I mean, I, so it was the worst. It was the second to worst press box food on the trip. So the Cincinnati food was terrible, but at least you could get as much as you want. When we went to Kentucky, bro, I've never seen this before. They give you a meal voucher where you could only have half a Subway sandwich. You could what? like no, no press box I've ever seen before <laughs> gave you a meal voucher where you could only have like a half a Subway sandwich, a bag of chips and a cookie. And they're like, dude, nothing else. That's it. You're done. And they had this like old ass dude in the Kentucky gear, like guarding the sandwiches that were like, there were hundreds, there were hundreds that were just going to throw away. And they're like, nope, one voucher per person. But yeah, Cincinnati food, that was a, that was a disgrace as well. But uh, that whole on. experience in the press box was a disgrace. I'll, I will say the, the here in Canada, there are some good tailgates um, and in Quebec City, which is about three hours north ish of Montreal, where the University Université de Laval play mm. um, the like, I don't know, they've won like 10 national championships in the past like 25 years uh, that they, they go wild there because like the only team there, there's no, you know, there's a minor league hockey team, but that's about it. So that that's pretty big. I, I would have been lucky that I went to, I think, the second ever Michigan night game. Uh, against Penn State in like 2013, 2014. That was that was wild. Uh, the Notre Dame game this year was wild until the game because Cincinnati just kind of sucked the life out of that game. They're good for them, and obviously like that, that they're a good team. But like um, you, you're you're always hoping when you go to a place as a neutral that the home team is in the game. Yeah. Right. That's like the main thing. You just want to see the home team like at least score. Uh, I went to see Syracuse at home against Clemson. The Carrier Dome, considering it's named after like an air conditioning company, was the hottest fucking place I've ever been. <laughs> in my, we were all sweating so. I bad. actually, I think that that is, I think that that is still today the only domed stadium that we have in football that is not air conditioned. Wow, it, it's <laughs> because they haven't they haven't updated. I don't think they've updated the construction there basically since it. Was is it built. named after an air conditioning company too? Carrier, I'm pretty sure Carrier is like some sort of air ventilation circulation type of this situation. Is, this has been a phenomenal start to the show. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Carrier uh, okay, Go ahead. Let, let's get into football then. Um, oh well, I, I would say like before before we get into that, what for next year? Now I know I, I, whether or not you you do this as big as you did it this year. Is there one place now 
or mm-hmm. one or two places that you're like, all right, let's let's I gotta get there. I can't give too much away, Seth. There's a lot of listeners that want to know the schedule, but I can give one game away. It's, play- it's January 2022. <laughs> like, come on, no one's listening the, to this. The plan, the plan, the plan is we are going to the Alabama Texas game in Austin. That mm. is one of the, one of the bigger games we're excited to be at. Quinn Ewers, Bryce Young, Austin Texas should be quite the treat. We're excited for that one. Um, I think College Station is on our list. Athens is on our list. Um, and trying to get out to some of those games. But um, our big thing next year, this year we went to so many freaking games, dude. We went to like 12 games, and it was uh, every weekend. The, tr- the, yeah. the travel was insane. I, I, I literally can't do it again. I think we're going to go to like maybe four, five, or six games at most. Probably get talked into eight, and then it comes ten. But like we're going <laughs> to try and only go to like four to six games next year. But like really do it up and and um, right. you know plan these bigger bigger events and I'm gonna get some cornhole bags branded as tailgate. You guys are more than welcome to join, dude. If we all, I don't know if we'll make it out to the West Coast. Maybe with Lincoln Riley there, who knows? But uh, for right now, I think the biggest game on our schedule for sure is that uh, Texas Bama game at home. Have any of you have any of you been to Washington like Husky Stadium? Yeah, in Seattle, that place that, is looks, one of the prettier stadiums. That's what I was going to say. I'll say it's one of the better looking stadiums. Yeah, I'd be into going there. Okay, all right, all right, that's enough. Uh, defensive Player of the Year in yeah. the NFL. Go. This is an, this is an talk, interesting conversation. Talk about right? it. I, so, if you're a betting man, you can't bet on this. It's TJ Watt. TJ Watt has won the award from a betting markets perspective. Like you can't, like you physically cannot bet on the award because he is such a glaring favorite. And I've gone on this rant before um, on the Tailgate Pod. Um, and I say, if you want to know who's going to win Defensive Player of the Year in the NFL, just Google who leads the NFL in sacks, and you should be all right. That's it. That's all it takes. That's literally all the award is. So, like, there's all this freaking discussion on who should win it, and I watch more film, and I've ground so much <laughs> right. tape, and it's like, dude, the award is a joke. The, the award is a box score Madonna in it that it's whoever has the most sacks or in some cases the most most picks if you do get in like Diggs was in the running right like Diggs was in the running until I think TJ Watt broke the sack record for the well, until, he has until Deontay killed it yeah 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 for the purpose of clarity I want to say that that was a quote tweet on Steve's tweet okay <laughs> Let, let's direct I want to direct some of that heat in his direction I, I mean I do think I want to talk to you on that tweet because I saw that tweet I liked it. I, I was, you know, I liked the discourse on Trayvon Diggs. Fire people up, dude. That's what Twitter's about. Um, when you said his interceptions are disguising one of the worst cornerback seasons ever, I was like, "Holy shit, my guy!" You oh, are I knew turning. it was coming. Yeah, I knew it was <laughs> no, coming. I was like, dude, you, you absolutely. I mean, I, I'm all for Trayvon Diggs as the Jameis Winston of corners. I'm all for he's allowed more yards than anybody. But man. Worst oh. freaking cornerback seasons of all time. Well, I was like, okay, this so guy's I'm actually, fired up. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Jameis because I think that that I wouldn't I wouldn't compare it a one, as a one to one to like the 30 interception season. Yeah. But if you're talking about like how to contextualize that with other seasons where you're looking at like, oh, I'm going to focus in on this one metric when everything else is saying that maybe he's not the best player in the world. That was kind of that is kind of the comparison. I'm. Yeah. Drawing. Yeah. No. I, I mean, like. And I don't want to derail the conversation too much on the Trayvon Diggs stuff, right? But it is in the it is a good conversation around defense player of the year. But like, eleven picks. You know, Trayvon Diggs has played what, eight hundred snaps this year, and you're gonna you're gonna say eleven plays is why he's you know defense player of the year. I mean, that's a big reason why PFF you know does what it does, right? Like, great that's why we exist. Right? Exactly. That's why we exist. You know, especially <laughs> yeah. for pass rushers, right? Pass rushers, it's such a binary 
win. It's so much more of a binary win and loss, right, where you have this opportunity to win or lose on every play. With corners, right, right are you targeted, are you not targeted? If you were targeted, would you give it up a touchdown? What if the receiver dropped it? There's less of a binary result with cornerback play. It's why some of the off-coverage grading at PFF is going to see such drastic improvement, right? We're already starting an off-ball coverage process or all-coverage process to see more of that stuff. Right. That's what NFL teams want. That's what agents want, all this shit. But for pass rushers, right, you are – literally graded on every single player whether or not you beat your block or did not beat your block and those that's why those are some of the stickiest grades sticky being year over year stable that pff tracks for corners right it is a little bit more volatile because there isn't such a, a an efficient process with some of the off-ball grading stuff but like Trayvon Diggs is defense player of the year and the best corner in the nfl because of 11 plays 11 fucking plays and if you turn on some of those plays not all of those are like insane interceptions where he is sticky in coverage snap to you know snap to whistle and right. making a play on the ball some of those are gifted to him from bad quarterbacks i don't again i'm not bagging on trayvon Dix. like trayvon Dix has had 11 picks this year i'll leave it at that for defensive player of the year tj watt will win it it's not even close who should win it i mean you look at it from a who's winning and making maybe the biggest impact on the game i think it's aaron donald but right. the discussion is is vo voter fatigue right no one wants to vote for fucking aaron donald anymore that's that's just a fact and um i think tj watt leads the nfl in sacks by i think one and a half he has an opportunity i think with two sacks to like break the single season record which throw all the records out the window with the extra season, extra game. But um, mm -hmm. I think Watt ultimately wins it. And, hell, I mean, fuck, he deserves it. I think the conversation is kind of lame. You know, it, it's funny. Had that Monday night game not gone the way that it – not going the way that it did, I probably would have entertained the fact that Trevon Diggs could have been in the conversation, yeah. or at least be closer in the conversation to win Defensive Player of the Year, because you have to recognize the fact that 11 interceptions is rare. There's a reason why you don't bump into that. The, the all-time leader in the NFL set that record during the Korean War, and it hasn't been broken. Okay, <laughs> So like, it, it's, hard, it's hard to get to double digits, period, and then get to that 11, 12, 13 type of mark. So obviously, you have to recognize, recognize it for the rarity, and and, you know, to your point about Aaron Donald, I think I tweeted about it a couple of times, but like as much as it sucks to say, Aaron Donald is LeBron James now. Like you're not competing for defensive player of the year in 2021. You're also competing against all the other defensive player of the years that you won years prior. Like we all know that you're the best player in the world. I think everybody kind of bows to that and we understand that. Mm -hmm. And it sucks that you can't get the recognition that you probably deserve year over year. But to, you know, with what you're saying about TJ Watt, like, you cross the 20-sack threshold, you're winning Defensive Player of the Year. Exactly. You, you I don't too. care what yeah, else true. happens in any of, with any other player in the NFL. <laughs> Once you hit 20 sacks, dude, the award is yours, period. Yeah. I, you you want to know what, how you get double-digit picks in a season? Uh, quarterbacks and offenses continue to target you. Yeah, true. Like, like that, I mean, you compare, to me, that's probably... It's a fact. Yeah. yeah, you compare like, that to, I mean, AJ Green beat him on a double move in the year 2022. Let's not let's not have this conversation. <laughs> that was a rough one. Uh, man. That was a yeah, rough one. But that I, was a bad one. <laughs> um, I mean, go back to like the Namdi Asimov season. That that mm -hmm. season, I think it was like 2008 with the Raiders when I was still a season ticket holder. Rise up. The that season, I think it was targeted like 19 times, and it was one of the best like cornerback seasons we've ever seen at PFF. But he wasn't sniffing. Defensive player right. of the year. Boy, no one even right. knew who that guy was. That's like the beauty of it, right? Like AJ Terrell is another good example. He probably I was going to say AJ Terrell yeah. is the guy that comes to mind right now. He might not make an all pro team even because he doesn't have some of the picks and stuff like that. I think the Atlanta Falcons have done a good job from a social media perspective pushing him. And that matters, right? You get me on this call. I'm not the COO, but like there's a lot of content minded <laughs> me. And like you think about, you think about AJ Terrell and like how the Falcons have pushed him and they, how they've leaned into PFF grades and like 
really tried to show, like, hey, this guy's playing really fucking well. It mm-hmm. could be in the conversation for all pro. Like, voters are humans, right? This isn't a computer that spits it out. They look at box score stats, but they also look at Twitter. So Twitter promotion is a really big part of that, too, and I think they've done a good job with Terrell to a point where he'll get Pro Bowl votes. He might even get all pro votes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but I still feel that the best cornerbacks in the NFL don't get targeted. That's, that's it, point blank, period. Yeah. The best, it's not about picks. It's about not getting targets. And I think yards, yards allowed per coverage snap, and targets allowed or targets you know, right. received per coverage snap are more or better indicators than picks will ever be. Um, I do have a question almost kind of separate from who's going to win the award. If we were to set this up kind of like the way that the Heisman ballots are, where you're kind of listing out five guys, do you think that Michael Parsons would make your t- – would he make your top five, and would you predict that he would make the top five as like the consensus – in the consensus defensive player of the year? Absolutely. I, I, I apologize. I'm going to apologize to listeners for not bringing up his name earlier in the conversation, right? We kind of got on a tangent on Trayvon Diggs, but Micah Parsons has had a season that, honestly, I don't know if we'll see again from a rookie, right? I mean, him coming yeah. in, having missed the entire 2020 season for opting out of COVID, playing a position he legitimately did not play at Penn State, and being – the best rookie pass rusher and borderline a top five pass rusher this year is one of the most absurd things we've ever seen. I mean, it's literally the most absurd thing probably we've seen since Lawrence Taylor. And Lawrence Taylor was a pass rusher. Lawrence yeah. Taylor played pass rusher in college. So Micah Parsons deserves all the credit in the world. You Another another bet you can't make right now is who wins defensive rookie of the year. Right. He's locked it up. He might have locked that up in week 14. Right. Um, he's going to get his due. That guy's in. It will get some defensive player of the year awards in his future, I'm sure. And that's another part of the conversation that I think is interesting, right? Like, you know, voters want multiple people to win these things. Voters want, you know, there's fatigue is real. Like they want when it's not obvious that one player should win it again and again, they want to spread the wealth a bit and have and entertain more players. It's what creates better content. It's what creates more conversation. So I do think Micah Parsons, if he, hell, plays 80% as good as he did this year, I think there are going to be some conversations for defensive player of the year moving forward. Uh, I, um, I was thinking about, Parsons, because I wrote about him uh, on the website, go to pff.com, find my article on Parsons and Dan Quinn. But uh, one of the things that I think was really interesting for me, I didn't realize this. I saw it a little bit in the preseason when I was watching him kind of figuring out where they were going to play him, right? Because that was that was the thing, like even from the beginning, is he going to play edge? Is he going to play off-ball linebacker uh, like full-time? And then you realize that Dan Quinn already had this position. I didn't. I didn't realize this until I started writing this article this week. Going back and looking at the when he was with the Falcons, he has this position where you have a guy who plays off-ball linebacker, and then in certain packages will come down and play defensive end. And it's like, oh my god, this position was literally built for Michael Parsons. <laughs> It is the most perfect matchup of of, of like scheme and coaching and a player uh, being picked. And they traded down, right? Like three picks or something? I don't think so. Or maybe they did. I don't remember actually. So like just just the fact that they they found this player who fits Dan Quinn. Because like a lot of guys, you you put them on uh, so many other teams and maybe, maybe he just plays Will. Right? That's it. And then he just plays well. And, and even with Demarcus Lawrence going down, they don't move him to edge rusher. And then he's and he's a really good will. But where he gets like that uh, surplus value is him moving down to defensive end, uh, usually in their five man looks. And then now with Demarcus Lawrence back, they bring Demarcus Lawrence inside to, on the on the guard. And Michael Parsons on the tackle, and that's a one-two punch. That is, I mean, and Randy Gregory's having a great season too. On the other side, like I don't know how you stop that. And then, they, and then they 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 rush Michael Parsons from the off-ball linebacker spot. Literally, he's lining up in front of a guard with a five-yard head start. Uh, this is as good. It's as good as a, of a pairing 
between, you know, like I said, scheme and coaching and player that, that I, that could have happened, honestly. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, um, and to add, they did trade down. They traded down from 10 to 12, picked up the third round pick for the Eagles. Eagles Perfect. trading up for Devontae Smith. And I think you know, the only reason that Micah Parsons even fell to that spot, right, was a lot of the off-field stuff that we very quickly, as the NFL does, brush under the rug or the carpet, whatever that expression is. But, I, I mean, the player, the blue chip talent, the blue chip talent was always there. I think the reservations were some of the off-field concerns, legitimate off-field concerns with maturity and some of the decisions he made in college. In addition to that, not playing in 2020. You know, there was this whole like we haven't seen him do it you know over a season he had that big game against Memphis in the bowl game and they're like oh my god Michael Parsons could be it but then we didn't see him in 2020 he falls to 12 Dallas wanted a corner you know all the reports show that they wanted either Sertan or Horn and then they're not available right at that spot so that's why they ultimately end up trading down and land oh guess what into the best rookie <laughs> of any player I mean maybe you could even argue best rookie this year um, at number 12. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. I mean, I, I felt like before, I mean, obviously before you hit that 20-sack threshold or TJ Watt, you know, takes over in the second half of the year, the Oregon was always watching the Cowboys. I was like, it's not only that the data suggests that this is probably, that this might be the rookie of the year and the defensive player of the year, to Seth's point about the way that he's being used, like mm -hmm. there's kind of a visceral reaction you have to this freaky 6'5", 235-pound guy that takes off up the field and is just like hip-tossing guards. Yeah. Like you're not supposed to do that as a rookie. You're never supposed to be able to do that as a rookie. And to your point of, you know, having a coach that's going to say, hey, this guy who runs a 4-4 at this size, go ahead and rush a passer because we need you. And, yeah. then you can, and then you're just going to bump right back to backer and be a really good inside backer, you know, in, in all the ways that they're able to rush five and create all these problems for teams. Um, you know, when we talk about, like, identities and matching it up with players, like, it's not just him. It, it's not just Trevon Diggs. Like, when you think about situations, I can't imagine that there's a better one that exists right now for a rookie outside of maybe, like, Patrick Sertan being with Vic Fangio yeah. as far as, like, the way you, your style of play and the philosophy of the coach that you're playing under. Like, that's about as good of a marriage as you're going to see for a rookie in the NFL. Sertan, another guy, too, that is not going to get the love in Pro Bowl votes and all-pro voting because he has not gotten a ton of targets this year, but he has been pretty damn phenomenal for the yeah. Denver Broncos this year. With Parsons, I think you highlighted this in their piece, Seth. Um, but, so you know, tip your cap to Quinn, dude. Dan Quinn, doing you. there are very – not very few, but it's not a ton, right, defensive coordinators that are willing to – just let a guy cook like that and, and, and play to his strengths and, and run that way. There are people, there are coordinators, right, that'll say, and Deontay, you're a coach, man. You've probably seen these guys before where they're like, I don't care if this is the position you play and this is what you're going to do. Like, this is like, that's just the bottom line. And like, in my defense, this is what you play. And those are oftentimes the worst coaches, right? Because you got a guy like Parsons, you pretty much let him do whatever, whatever the hell he wants and whatever like best puts him in a position to succeed. And Dallas has done that literally week in and week out. There's been games where he's rushed the passer 40 times and there's been games where he's rushed the passer 15. And I think having that versatility and all that stuff. And it's also a credit to Parsons, right? Parsons being like selfless in that I'll play whatever the hell you guys want me to play. I'm, I'm here to you know, contribute to the team. I think he's been just such a positive for that football team, you know, in a lot of ways, more ways than one. Uh, all right, let's move on to uh, something that I didn't bring up with you guys before, um, but it just hit me that three of us have something in common, a little bit, a little bit here. We are all from places where a professional sports team has moved from the city we grew up in. So wow. uh, the Montreal Expos moved to Washington. The uh, Oakland Raiders moved uh, to Las Vegas recently. Uh, you are from uh, that area, Austin. And then 
Deontay, even though you're not a Chargers fan, you do live in San Diego um, and you saw that team left. So um, I, I'm just going to get your thoughts on on kind of uh, what that was like in the city or like how do you how your fandom has changed. I'm very interested in that. In a segment I'm calling, Where Did My Childhood Go? Presented by Manscaped. Uh, cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny skin all year round? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code PFF for 20% off and free Shipping, set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide uh, who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Uh, I I know, Austin, you have the products. I have the products. They're fantastic. They really are just like no, perfect for what you um, for, for what you need. And, and the, um, the razor is as good. The lawnmower 4.0 is amazing. All right, so 20% off and free shipping with promo code P-F-F. Okay, so, Austin, you are still... You're not going to read the best part of that read. I have that same read, Seth. Optional. It's, it's Optional. New Year. No, no, no. It's New Year, <laughs> no pubes in oh, 2022 with Manscaped. <laughs> That's the best part of the read. <laughs> it's the Christmas- New Year, no... Sorry, it's New Year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. The best one in the Manscaped reads, in my opinion, we had them for Christmas, right? And it was, make Santa proud this year. Make Santa proud this year with Manscaped. Oh, my God. Uh, I'll tell you what. You said I used the products. Santa has been the proudest man in freaking Cincy over here because I've been out here grinding. It's a basketball court down there. It's sleek and slim. Um but yeah, for fandom wise, I will talk about what was it? What was the segment? Where did your childhood go? Where did where did my childhood go? It's more for me because the Expos left like fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. But uh, yeah, did you? You're still a Raiders fan? Yeah, I, a and lot that, of it. You go on, go on, go. On. I mean, I, I'm a Raiders fan. I think a lot of it is because my dad. I think my dad is still a Raiders fan, and I feel like we connected a ton when I was a kid over that because he had season tickets since, like, 2004, and we had season tickets up until I left for San Diego State. So, like, a lot of it, you know, it's hard to still – I mean, I sound like an asshole when you're an analyst. No, but, like, it is hard to still be a fan <laughs> and, like, have some of this, like, blind, you know – fandom or fanaticism or whatever over teams but i still am a raiders fan for whatever reason that whatever that whatever that's worth when they left oakland man i mean my big thing was like dude they had to i mean that oakland coliseum stinks there's a reason the a's are leaving uh you know the 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 city wasn't willing to put any money into a new stadium and then vegas came around they're like we'll buy it like they told mark davis who's one of the poorest owners in the nfl like hey we will literally pay for this stadium out of pocket to make sure you come here and you know you could talk about the negative impacts on the team right we've already seen some of the off-field stuff. I mean, it could have been regardless of decision-making, but Vegas is a tough time. It's a tough town to make good decisions. Can we, can yeah. we all agree on that? It's fucking yeah. Sin City for a reason, man. That thing doesn't sleep, and it's aggressive, and, um, you know, it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of maturity to go there and, like, really compete, right? I mean, it's a, it's a tough one. I think you also talk about how it's a, it's a tourist town, you know, like San Diego is. It's a, rig- a big reason why the Chargers left. Chargers left because everyone wants to go to San Diego to watch their team play San Diego, whether it was Arizona – 
the Raiders had a huge following in San yes. Diego. Um, you know, and same with Vegas, right? I think a lot of teams, a lot of opponent fan bases are like, I want a reason to go to Las Vegas. My favorite team plays the Raiders on this date. So I do think they're going to struggle with a lot of that stuff. But in terms of making money, which is what everything's about, I think Mark Davis is buttering his pockets pretty nicely. So I kind of see the business side of it. As a fan, like, I don't really care. My dad doesn't really care either. He loves Vegas, for those who don't know. Um, I think that there's um, some obvious there. But, yeah, I mean, it didn't really affect my fandom a ton. I remember my dad being pissed that they moved to L.A., right, because they moved to L.A., won two Super Bowls, and then came back. So they technically the Oakland Raiders only have one Super Bowl, and the L.A. Raiders have two. But he doesn't bring that up. The Raiders have three as a total. But um, that's probably how it impacted me the most. I mean, for me, as not a Chargers fan, but as an observer just of the city, like, it was honestly, I think I think what happened was ultimately the apathy, of, the general apathy of the city is kind of what took over um, that whole situation, you know, very similar to what was happening in Oakland. And we were actually drawing a lot of parallels at the time in the city um, based on the Chargers move and relocation and what was happening in Oakland, because a lot of it was kind of born of the same things, right? Like outdated stadium. Um, you're kind of landlocked in the area that you're in. You know, that's something that I know about where the stadium's at in Oakland and that Alameda area. Like that complex, that compound that they have is basically the only place that's available that's not going to be extremely intrusive on other areas because it's so densely populated in the Bay Area. Um, we're kind of dealing with the same thing here, or we were dealing with the same thing here with the Chargers in that Mission Valley area. I mean, you know that having gone to SDSU, right? Like, Qualcomm Stadium or San Diego County Credit Unit Stadium, mm -hmm. uh, what it was called, is basically right across the freeway from San Diego State. Um, and you can see like the residential areas, even the commercial areas, there just wasn't a lot of space to move. And when that's the case, now you're talking about where do you build and then where are you getting the money from? Yeah. And they missed the boat. Like the truth of the matter is that they missed the boat. When the Padres left Qualcomm to go create Petco Park, that was Which is the time. sick, by the way. Petco Park Yes, is like probably, sick. you know, a top three, I think a top three stadium, you could say, in the MLB. And one of the best stadiums, one of the best sports stadiums that we have in the country. Um, it, it's a great experience. But that was the time. If you were looking for that red flag when it was time to go, it's when the baseball team left. And they stuck it out. Um, you know, everybody kind of has their feelings about the Spanos family out here. You know, they have a reputation of kind of penny pinching. You know, I think that a lot of that criticism kind of carried over when they went to L.A. and played in the soccer stadium for that first year in yeah. order to try to avoid, <laughs> you know, the yeah. leasing rights that Kroenke was trying to charge them to play in SoFi, you know, right out the gate. So there's a lot. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of justified frustration for Chargers fans. I think the culture of the city, though, everybody kind of moved on. What I'm kind of interested in now is like, would there be real rallying around San Diego State now because they're going to be the only show in town from a football perspective? Like, I, I do a, remember when they were moving, right? San Diego State was actually pretty good. I mean, they yes. had Donald Pumphrey, Rashad Penny, and they right. like, went back-to-back -back Mountain West championships in, in 2015 and 2016, and there was some rally, right? But even with the success of San Diego State, I mean, I'll say it, there's too much to do in San Diego. Who the hell that's is following the problem. football team, man? I mean, it's just too much to do. And I think I do think that that's not an excuse, right? I still think San Diego could, like, fit a football team. But if you don't have a sick-ass stadium, a sick-ass atmosphere – there is just so much other things I'd rather put on my plate in terms of what I could do. You can snowboard and ski in the same day in San Diego. That's where you're at, man. Like this, this is a different breed. Okay, this city is a different breed. So you better have a really cool, like badass venue. And I think that Qualcomm slash San Diego Credit Union Stadium just wasn't that. And obviously, right. Spanos, Spanos followed the money to LA, where all we say everyone does. Uh, are there are there Chargers fans that that like you, like Austin, being a kind of quote unquote still a Raiders fan? Are, 
were there still, I think I, ask, I can ask this question generally to both of you guys with the Chargers and the Raiders. Do, did fans carry their fanship over? Like, I mean, I know of some people who will go to SoFi when they can, who like really love the Chargers, like really, really love the Chargers. There is a certain kind of subculture within sports fandom out here where that does exist. But to Austin's point, like the big thing is that this is, I mean, fundamentally San Diego is kind of a transient town, right? Like we have one of the biggest military populations in the country mm -hmm. right next to a port. Basically almost every branch of the, of the military um, has a base out here. Um, so you have that as a piece of it. And then you get a lot of people who move out here, right? Like, so because of that, you're not talking about people who are like, I'm in my third generation now. Like my granddad was the first guy to take me to a Chargers game. And I fell in love with the sport through that, et cetera, et cetera. That does not really exist. It's a lot more of like, hey, if I'm from Denver and I wanted to move further west or get to a nicer place and I end up in San Diego or even in the Inland Empire like Temecula, I'm going to go when the Broncos are playing the Chargers. Mm -hmm. If I'm a Raiders fan, I'll, I'll, t I'll buy any ticket I can to go take a weekend off in San Diego to go watch them play. And the same thing exists in Los Angeles, you know. Um, they don't have, there is no diehard fan base there in the way that there is for the Raiders. I think that you know, from Oakland to Las Vegas, if you're looking at it from the franchise's perspective, it was a safe bet because you're covered on both ends. Like mm -hmm. early, while they're price gouging, which is what's happening with their ticket prices to get people in there, you're bringing in the whole tourist attraction of, hey, you're going to go to the black hole, you're going to go to whatever or whatever they're calling it now, the Death Star, I guess, and, and you're going to watch the Raiders play your favorite team. And, but they can still rely on the fact that it's not a far drive from the Bay Area to get to Vegas. It's about and five hours. And, you know, as far as, like, national fan bases go, it's basically the Steelers, the Cowboys, and the Raiders in, in the NFL, you know, is that kind of top three where you can go anywhere in the country and you're going to bump into people on the sidewalk that's wearing the memorabilia or, you know, wearing the apparel that's proud of it, that's got a tattoo of their arm of the, of the logo that can tell you about the first most important game in their life. Um, that doesn't really exist, exist for Chargers fans. So I think that there has been a lot of kind of atrophying of the fandom. I don't bump into people as often the way that I used to, like in 2009 and 2010, that were willing to kind of, you know, lament the fact that, oh, Nick Folk missed a field goal in the wild card. And now we're not, you know, we could have been a Super Bowl contender, but we're not. Or that 14-2 team, you guys remember that? Like, you don't hear that in the same way now that you did when the team was here. And a lot of that just, just kind of comes down to the culture of the city. There's too many things to compete with. And the people here are not necessarily like San Diego naturals and the natural or the people who are here, born here, the Latino and Latina population, you know, the people of color out here that are probably a lot more of the diehard fans um, in San Diego. They don't really get much time in the spotlight talking about what the team meant to them and the decision to move didn't really have anything to do with them in the first place. They weren't kept in mind. So, you know, they're, we're kind of lost, you know, kind of lifestyle out here as a fan base. It's basically the same thing that happened to the Clippers when they were out here and then left for LA. All right, let's stay on the Las Vegas Raiders. They have a huge game coming up against the San Diego. Jesus, I didn't do that on purpose. Against the Los Angeles Chargers. That was terrible. To uh, to see if they make the playoffs, basically. Austin, mm -hmm. what like we have not talked about the Raiders at all of this podcast this whole year. Can you explain to the listeners like what is going on this year? Um, I guess we can stick to on the field. Uh, most people know what's what's gone on off the field. Yeah. On the field, what's happened to the Raiders? Like, why are they 
where they are, whether that's, I don't know if it's above expectations. I don't even know if it's below your expectations. Like, where are they? I mean, I think from a betting perspective, it's exceeding expectations, right? I think their win total was set at six and a half. They're, they've already cleared that. They've exceeded some expectations there, even though going through obviously a lot of off-field turbulence. I mean, it's hard to speak to a lot of that stuff. It's all fucking shitty, but like it's sudden. If, if you can blanket one term, it's sudden, right? Sudden losses of Gruden, sudden losses of rugs. Um, I mean, you could even call the loss to Waller, right? Waller, Darren Waller yeah. hasn't played since week 12. That has been obviously a concern. The sudden move of Alex Leatherwood from right tackle to right guard. <laughs> like, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of suddenness that has not been great for the Raiders team. And I think um, I, I, I tweeted something out, and a lot of people had some hate around it, that, like, this, that Derek Carr has been really impressive down the stretch for hanging on and keeping this team alive. And box score grading, you know, he has not been all that impressive down the stretch. But it's been in these clutch moments, right? And it's keeping this team competing that I think has been so impressive. There is a lot of reason for this team to go full Giants, you know, and just fucking punt on this season with the losses that they've had at receiver and the losses, obviously, to the coach and some of the bad losses they had soon after the, some of those tragedies, right? Like, they were down and out, I think, a few weeks ago. You wouldn't have even thought about them competing for a playoff hunt down the stretch. So Derek Carr as a leader, I think, has been a big part of that. And he's been in the clutch. Like, go back and watch that drive for the Colts. You know, against the Colts, where first first drive goes down on fourth down, hammers that one into Hunter Renfro, they score. And then to get, clinch the game-winning field goal has an absolute dime to Hunter Renfro over the top. I think it was over the top of Kenny Moore to put them in field goal range and eventually win that game. Uh, he has been really impressive in these clutch moments. Now, why are you in these clutch moments, Derek Carr? Because you did throw some pretty bad picks. Because you did have some of these yeah. fumbles. Like, he has been... A turnover machine. I mean, I think if Daniel Jones didn't exist, there'd be a lot more conversation about the amount of turnovers that Dak Prescott, I mean, not Dak Prescott, Derek Carr has had, specifically fumbles. I think he has the most fumbles of any player in the NFL since he entered the league in 2014. Um, and, and I think the most fumbles lost as well. Turnover-worthy play rate, a bit low, because he is a bit conservative. His average depth of target does range on the lower end. But fumbles have been really shitty for Derek Carr. Um, as for this game, they're, they're not favorite they're three-point dogs at home in vegas in the death star but there's part of me that wants to believe in this magic right maybe it's the fandom kind of seeking through i think the reasons to doubt them is Derek carr has not played well in quarters one through three so far down the stretch here their defense has kind of regressed and people bring up like points per game and they've played better it's all that stuff their pressure rate has dropped week in and week out they've done a better job at containing max crosby there's a reason max crosby's not into the defensive player of the year race anymore he's got against the better tackles they're double teaming him a lot more they know that he's the force in the beginning he kind of came out of nowhere one of the biggest breakout players in the nfl now they're kind of honing in on him a bit more they've had some injuries to the secondary um i i, I do think that this defense is regress slightly from a pressure percentage and the other reason to doubt them is the offensive line this offensive line stinks yeah, it is bad. a bottom a bottom five offensive line and pressure rate allowed Derek Carr is under pressure on 39 percent of his dropbacks which is a top five rate in the NFL it is difficult to play well especially when you don't have receivers that consistently create separation Hunter Renfro is probably the best separator on this team when Waller isn't healthy and he hasn't been now He's expected to practice this week. Whether or not he plays, obviously, is still TBD. If he plays, it's a big change of pace for this game as well. On the other side of the ball, or on the other side of this one, the Chargers, really good quarterback. I mean, I think he's in the conversation for, if you had to pick a quarterback for the next five years, he's in this tier after Mahomes, right? Mahomes is one. And <sighs> I, I think Herbert is one. I was going to say, Over I think Mahomes. it's Herbert. I'm, Dude, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm so open good. to being an idiot. I'm open to being an idiot over this, but I think that 
Herbert is the answer right now. It's fair. No, I mean, I, I'm willing to have that conversation. Regardless, he's one of the top two, top three guys, yeah, right? Like, right. if you're going to pick exactly. a quarterback in the NFL right exactly. now, he's one of the top two, top three guys. Um, I'm not wet, ready to have the Herbert versus Burrow conversation. Just not yet. We've already went on on Diggs. Uh, I think the uh, I think for the Chargers, though, they have a really good quarterback. I mean, I think they have an under, underrated receiving core. Jalen Guyton has played a lot better for them this year. I like Josh Palmer. Mike Williams is great. Keaton Allen. Um, their offensive line, I mean, I mean, if Rashawn Slater has been so impressive this year, easily one of the most impressive rookies this year. Corey Lindsley is the number two graded center behind Creed Humphrey, and Creed Humphrey gets all the love. But Lindsley was a big free agent acquisition for them too. Austin Eckler finally looks healthy, finally yeah. looks healthy, and is playing well defensively. You have faith in, in, in Joey Bosa, you have faith in Joe and uh, Derwin James, and when this that defense is healthy and Staley's cooking, they're a tough team to beat. It's why they're favored by three, right? It's why the Chargers are favored by three on the road. They match up better. I think it's going to come down to who has the ball late in this one, though. If the, if the Raiders keep it close, I like Derek Carr in the clutch. That's where they've been at home. I think that's where it kind of comes out. I think I do pick the Raiders on the money line for here. I don't hate that. You know, I, the way that I've been looking at the Chargers all season is like they're in the same kind of tier with the Bengals, and we talked about this, I think, earlier this week. Like these kind of like ultimate one-game sample teams. Like mm -hmm. you can sell me on any outcome. With with the Chargers, <laughs> you can tell me that that he's gonna that uh, Herbert's gonna step out, throw for 380 yards and four touchdowns, and I'm not gonna bat an eye. And you can tell me that the defense is gonna give up 450 yards, you know, and I'm not gonna bat an eye at that either. Um, so there's no real telling. I will say that like if Darren Waller is healthy and they have a guy that you can occupy a Derwin James with, so you can go attack some of the other holes that the Chargers have in their roster, that is a big deal for mm -hmm. Las Vegas. Um, and I, I would really like them to pull this game out, I think, if, if they're at full strength offensively. Um, for all the issues, or not issues, but I guess some of the aggression that they had with their pass rush, I do think, you know, but just like we were talking about Micah Parsons and Dan Quinn, I think that, you know, having another guy in the Legion of Boom coaching tree and Gus Bradley there with Max Crosby, with Yannick Ngakwe, like another perfect kind of match. These guys who can tear off up the field and create all this havoc has been really good for them. Not only have they been in the top five basically in pressure rate over a long stretch of the season, They've also been they've also been like in the top five, top ten in like pass rush win rate, meaning mm -hmm. that they're whooping guys' asses off the edge. It's not just hey we're crushing the pocket and getting a late effect on the quarterback. They're outright winning on a lot of these, and for that reason, I'm I'm thinking like again one game samples. You're talking about getting after a guy and forcing him to maybe be a little bit more uncomfortable than what you would typically expect or putting uh, Herbert in situations where he's got to be perfect. You know, I think that this game can go either way. And if the Chargers don't have that run game that can set up their play action shots the way that they've liked it, that's really where I think that Las Vegas can come out with this win. I, I mean, I'll, I'll say it as a neutral. Uh, we don't want – we uh, shouldn't say it like that. But kind of, I think I'm speaking for a lot of people when you kind of like, who do you want in the playoffs? Who do you want to watch in the oh, playoffs? Yeah. Herbert. Oh, yeah, Herbert. Yeah, yeah. If you're asking me about entertainment, yeah, yeah. yeah. entertainment. I, mean, I want, I I want the Chargers a, in here. From a content perspective, it's Chargers the whole way. We want, 100%. we want, we want Herbert Burrow in the postseason at some point. Yes, that's yeah. what we want. Like well, we need that. You know, with with Allen, Herbert, uh, Burrow, and Mahomes all in the in the in one half of the bracket on the AFC side, you're gonna get some two or three of those combinations uh, before the playoffs are out, which I think is going to be, I mean, that is so fun to think about. Uh, and especially going great. forward. And you know what, but you know what the worst part about that is? 
that means that the guy who's leaving the AFC isn't going to be Mac Jones. <laughs> we're going to get all the, all these quarterbacks are going <laughs> to knock each other out, and we're going to have to deal with the Patriots in with Mac Jones. We're not going to get the best quarterback representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. I do think that's an underrated element, though. If if Derek Carr winning and the Raiders going in is just such a dud for the for the narratives, right? Like, I mean, you think about the discourse on Twitter in Island Games when Derek Carr is playing. There's no pol- there's no polarization, right? Because everyone's just like, yeah, he's kind of okay. You know, he's not that good. But when Herbert's playing, it's like, oh man, he's terrible. I knew he was terrible. He can't play. And then the other times where it's like, oh my god, he's got he's got you know this all crazy shit. But I think it's um, I want Herbert in from a content perspective. The Raider fan in me is all in on Derek Carr, right. taking him in. So boy, uh, okay, let's let's switch over to the NFC and let's talk about the. I believe I should probably should look this up, but I believe the last two. Uh, the last spot is for uh, one of two teams. That would either be the Saints or the 49ers. Saints win and 49ers lose. Saints are in, and I think the 49ers just have to win uh, regardless of the Saints' uh, score. If you are going to be playing one of those teams, who do you not want to see if you're an NFC team? Um, if Saints or 49ers? I, I I think it is the Saints, to be honest. I do think that that defense, I think Renner on our podcast – said that they just give good quarterbacks fits and those are hard defenses to find in the nfl these days and as for san francisco like i know they have talent on that side of the ball but they do not have the defense that the new orleans new orleans is trotting out right now and they've had a lot of success this year so i do think that new orleans can kind of play spoiler to some of these teams i mean as they have right like Tampa Bay might be the two seed. You let Saints sneak, sneak in as the seven. I mean, this thing's a ball game. I mean, the Saints have had Tom Brady's number for quite some time now. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that could be a legitimate one and done for a very injured Bucks team. I'll tell you right now, the Bucks do not want to see the fucking Saints. That's a fucking fact. You have the Bucks with no Chris Godwin, no Antonio Brown, no, Antonio Brown. no um, you know, no Leonard Fournette potentially, no Levante David potentially. This team is banged up to all hell. Certain Cyril Grayson and Tyler Johnson out there. That's not enough. I mean, I think the Saints right. team could really lock in on them. The Bucks should be scared shitless if the Saints get in, and I think the most likely scenario is that the Saints get in. They need to win, and they're favored, I think, four and a half over the Falcons on the road, and they need the Rams to win. The Rams are favored by four at, four at home. If the two favorites win, the Saints are in and the Niners are out. That is a scary situation for the Bucks. So much that, here comes the, here comes the here we go, hairbrain baby. here. Here comes the hairbrain. Uh-oh. The Bucks don't want to win this game. The Bucks don't want the two seed. Uh, the Bucks, the Bucks don't want to see Saints round one. Let the Rams take on the Saints round one and maybe kick them out. You know, like let that let that discourse play out. Because if the Saint, if the Bucks see the Saints while they're still unhealthy, give them a couple more weeks to get some of these guys back. I think they'll be in a better position. So I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not saying this. The Bucks aren't resting players and fucking shit like that. But I do think right. that the Bucks are in a better situation when slash if the Saints get in to not play them in the first round. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I think that, you know, kind of similar to what Seth was saying, like, what do we want to see? Like, I would like to see Trey Lance play more football. That <laughs> that would be ideal for me because I, I think that, you know, obviously you, you contextualize it by playing the Texans. I think every quarterback in the league would like to be able to see the Texans. Um, but he looked good. And not only did he look good, it looked good in a way that makes you think like, okay, maybe Shanahan does have a quarterback that not only adds something in the run game, but you can also get a little bit more vertical in the passing game. And I would like to see that in a playoff environment, knowing what we know about him in terms of scheming up run games against good defenses, for one, and the way that that play-action game has kept uh, quarterbacks efficient for them. But to your point, Austin, you talk about the way that the Saints play defense. 
I don't see I don't see a way that, that the 49ers can score enough. I absolutely hate to watch them play offense. It is the most arduous task in the world. Um, Seth has obviously talked about this at different points in the year. It is not a great time watching them. <laughs> Every um, podcast I talk about yeah. this, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I don't – it's not the most inspiring pick for me, but again, we talk about like styles making fights, like – the, the fact that Marshawn Lattimore can always go and just lock in on whoever your number one receiving threat is. You have Demario Davis as a guy who can match up with George Kittle. Like they have all the pieces that you need in terms of like, do we have a guy for their guy? They've got the dudes to be able to match up with San Francisco's best players. And I, I've loved what they've done with their defensive line. You know, Seth and I kind of talk about it from a schematic perspective, the way that they're able to play these two high safety shells and take away these explosive passes. But they also have these humongous monsters up front who can tear off up the field and cancel gaps. And Demario Davis, who can help you out with that as well. And that allows you to play the way that they do. And it's been great for them, and I have no reason to believe that it's going to be any different uh, when they match up with San Francisco. And for that reason, I do think that I'm probably leaning for New Orleans to go ahead and pull this thing out and, and be the last uh, playoff team in the NFC. Uh, you know, I saw that tweet, and I, I wish I could source it and uh, give credit to whoever put it out there. But the it was the record of teams if you flipped all the one-score games from wins to losses and losses to wins. And the Buccaneers would not be in the playoffs. I think they'd be like 7-10. and 10. And now, so you're talking about a team that's that that's has a bit of a Super Bowl hangover, and that was well, a lot of those games were with the players that they're not going to have going forward. That that scares me a lot if I'm if I was a Tampa Bay fan, and I'm certainly not a Tampa Bay fan, but that would scare me a bunch. You know, looking at what they're going to have to do without first of all, Chris Godwin, because they've tried to put Tyler Johnson in the slot. I don't know if he's that. He's certainly not Chris Godwin, and I don't even think he's that type of player. He's, if I remember, at Minnesota, he was more of an outside receiver, um, you know, when he played for the Gophers. So that's kind of his body type, like a one-on-one type of outside receiver. Now you're going to put him in the slot, have him run all those routes for that Godwin likes, all those option routes, all those routes that Brady has liked over the years, those short option routes. Yeah. I don't know if that, I don't know if that's the player. You know, Scotty Miller is a guy who hasn't played a lot this year. He was the hero in Green Bay in the NFC Championship game last year. He he's hasn't gotten any run, and then it's like okay, well at least we have Antonio Brown. Well, no, you don't have Antonio Brown anymore, and you're putting in like you said, Silo Grayson, who it's not Antonio Brown on the outside. Like so, yeah. like that scares me. They haven't been as good as their record this season, and now you lose those those guys. Uh, yeah, and the run defense wasn't good in the past like month. Like ooh, I uh, yeah. It's funny because I think people would ask in the preseason like a good content piece was like what's the weak link for all these teams right what's the weak link for the Bucks? and it was like you can't even say injuries they're so deep they got Godwin Brown Evans Gronk Leonard Fournette Ronald Jones like everyone like their offensive line is stacked but like you get a wave of injuries like this right like that is the weak link if you get hurt that bad and this they've gotten obviously pretty badly injured like same positions right losing Leonard yeah. Fournette losing Antonio Brown losing Chris Godwin all these skill players on offense it has been a significant loss the only reason they're still in games is they got TB12 right they yeah. got that diet that diet is is flying high right now the Tom Brady <laughs> diet they will not miss is I will say this every single I will never stop saying this as long as you got Tom Brady under center you are in Super Bowl contention period I don't care if you are trotting out practice squad players so you know Tom Brady put you in that position it's why they've won these one score games dude I mean it's why you look at this Jets game they should have lost that game 
and they're able to come back and hit Cyril Grayson in stride for a touchdown. Like, what the hell? I know the Jets' defense kind of missed on that one, but uh, Tom Brady still gives them a good, a good route. They, just, they don't want to see good defenses right now. Unfortunately, the NFL doesn't have a ton of those. One of those is the Saints. So I think the Saints getting in would be a bad news bear situation if the Bucs got to play them in the first round. All right, let's uh, finish this off with a little bit of hashtag CFB talk uh, presented by presented by. Do you guys know who is presented by Pro Football Focus? Because if you go on PFF.com and put in a promo code too high, that's T W H I G H, you can get twenty five percent off any PFF subscription. And what do you get? What do you get from a PFF subscription? Well, all of PFF's locked article content. You get PFF's NFL and college football betting dashboards. Uh, by the way, NFL Green Line is up 27 units this season. College Green Line up 32 units this season. Uh, 0 to 100 grades of every single player, including the top rookies on every team. Player prop tool, which shows positive and negative value for every NFL prop and much, much more. Support the pod. Use promo code 2HIGH, T-W-O-H-I-G-H, for 25% off any subscription. Also, uh... If you go and email contact at pff.com, tell um, tell that email that you are a listener of Too High. Put in answer these two questions: What PFF feature do you love the most? What do you want the most from PFF? And um, and yeah, we'll, we'll we'll try and answer those questions and make our product better. Okay, college Look at football the company man. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, it's you know. I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Let's uh, talk about the last game of the college football season, national championship. We get in the rematch. Austin, we'll, we'll start before we get you into predictions and how you think the game is going to play out. Give me, you know, five or, or anybody um, your top players to watch from a draft perspective, and maybe some maybe an underrated player that you really like. That it's hard to be underrated on either of these two teams. Yeah. However, maybe there's a guy that you think is maybe maybe more of a late round pick that you really like. Yeah, I think uh, so for this one, we have right now on PFF's draft board, 13 players in this game are in the top 100, actually in the top one, in top 75. That's how talented this team is. I mean, I think I'm not saying any names people don't know, right? Evan Neal, the offensive tackle for Alabama, N'Kobe Dean, linebacker for Georgia, Jamison Williams will play in this game, even though did not have like an insane game as in Cincinnati. I think part of that was part of, you know, running as many bunch sets as they did, running a ton of zone. They were able to run the football. Regardless, Jamison Williams, a big player in this one. Jordan Battle, safety for Bama. Jordan Davis, the Georgia defensive tackle. Those are all guys ranked inside of PFF's top 32 and probably the top five players in this game. I, I think as an underrated player, right, I love um, the other Georgia linebacker. I think Channing Tindall is oh, fucking dope. I, oh my God, Channing man. Tindall is sick. Oh I, I, think, um, I, think Chan, I think that is um, – I mean, he's not underrated, dude. He's a top 50 player on PFF's right. draft board. Like, he's sick. I mean, I, I, like, underrated in terms of everyone knows who Jordan Davis is, who wrongfully won defensive Oof. player of the year in college football, whatever. We can get on <laughs> and on. But I think that um, I, I still, like, really like Channon Tindall. I think his game is awesome. And I think Georgia just, like, continues to throw out talent. And I think um, – Really excited to talk to a lot of these players, right? I think on the draft podcast or the tailgate podcast, I do a lot of the conversations. I think talking to Georgia players might be my favorite, right? Because I always bring up their Tuesday practices. They call them Bloody Tuesdays, where all they practice is the run game. And they just play run defense for like four hours or something. I remember well, talking it, to it, yeah, it fucking it shows. shows up. Yeah, it, it shows. shows. Um, who was I? I mean, they had a defensive John Ledbetter, who was like a sixth or seventh round pick. He might be still in the NFL. I mean, his face lit up when you bring up Tuesdays. It's like this is the best day of the week. I mean, it's when we really like 
it's when it really gets competitive and like they go 100% and all this stuff, which I think is awesome. So the Georgia players, man, I think they're always good interviews. So I'm excited for this game. I think there's a lot of ton, you know, a ton of talent to watch. The key matchups, right? Um, you know, seeing Evan Neal against this defensive line, regardless right. of who he's going against, there's a ton of talent on that Georgia defensive line. Uh, Trayvon Walker for uh, Georgia is one of the one of the other guys that I think a lot of people will rise. It will rise up boards when people watch more of the Georgia players. Like a lot of people are like Dean Neal, um, or that's Bama, but like Dean. Uh, Davis are these two players that everyone's talking about. But as people turn on the tape a little bit more, I think Tyndall, Trayvon Walker, those will be other guys that are like, man, I actually might like this guy more. So I do think that um, I'm excited for draft season to really kick off where people start turning on the tape and, and hashtag grinding it. So I think it's going to be a good one. I rewatched uh, Bama offense against Georgia this, this afternoon. And I kept keep thinking, and I know this is so stupid, and it's gonna get me in trouble. But like, I keep thinking, like, Alabama can't do this again. Like, I don't like, and and it's so stupid because they always do this to Georgia. They always score points on Georgia. But I, I'm watching the tape, and I'm just like, man, there's a bust here and a bust there on Georgia's defense. You know, the big Jameson touchdown. Um, there's one where they have a wide open receiver in the flat that they don't pick up Georgia, but. Bryce throws it to someone else. You have another completion down the sideline, uh, a short completion that goes like 20 yards because no one picked up the receiver. Like, that's not going to happen again, I think. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Right. I don't know, I think. And then I just look at Bryce Young, and I'm like, he was insane in that game. And he won the Heisman. I get it. He won the Heisman. He's an insane player. But can you go back-to-back -back games against a ferocious defense like this and create the plays out of structure that he created in this game. And I don't, I don't know. And again, it's going to get me in trouble because that's exactly what's going to happen. But I, I keep, you know, like I said, I rewatched it and I was like, they couldn't run the football. Alabama could not run the football. Georgia's defense, you know, defensive line and defensive run stopping capabilities is top notch. And they just busted a couple times on, on the back end. And it's like, I don't know if that's going to happen again. Yeah, My you can't thing. count on too many of those. My thing, like, you want to talk about, like, outlier performances? That was the only game Georgia had that they did not convert any of their pressure into sacks. The only game. And we're talking about a team that over the course of the year is really more in that, like, high 30s to low 40s type of percentage of converting pressure into sacks. So to your point about, like, Bryce Young can't possibly do this again, it's not an indictment on Bryce Young as a player. Like, I'm not even really drawing from the Cincinnati game so much, though we did talk about it in review of, like, okay, if Cincinnati can get pressure like this and affect Bryce Young, then we have to believe that Georgia can do it the second time around. If I'm only focusing in on Georgia's defense – they didn't bust coverages like that all year. So why would I believe that that would happen again? Like, I've got to be able to rely on process and larger sample sizes in that. Now, to your point, like you were saying, Seth, this is also Alabama and Nick Saban. And every time I believe that this is not going to happen, <laughs> it happens. Um, basically, the only time I've been proven right was the 2019 Clemson team um, that, that really kind of got after Alabama. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I've got to believe that for a defense that has not only been – great within the silo of 2021 but one of the better defenses we've ever seen you know i've heard richard johnson kind of make mention of this saying that like we're going to think about this defense in the same kind of a uh, context that we talk about the 2019 lsu offense in terms of like wow like nine or ten of these guys ended up being pros and like seven of them were good pros um, type of deal so i do think that there is that there when you're talking about talent like that um, you've got to be able to contextualize it and think that all right one game sample 
I think that this will go better than it did in the conference championship game. I guess I'm just thankful that the Lord is giving me the opportunity to bet Saban as an underdog twice in the same season because oh, I will God. do it again. I will do it again. I will bet Saban no. money line again. I, I mean, I, I'm not doubting this Alabama team. And I, I think you guys have brought up really good points on, like, broken coverages are very volatile, right, especially for a Georgia team as talented as it is. And then also one game sample size where they weren't able to sack Bryce Young, right? And I think – but. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear your guys' take on this. Like, didn't weren't you impressed with how much Alabama ran tempo and kept some of these guys on the field and did not give them an opportunity to do a lot of the, you know, like changing guys out and like giving guys blows, like like breathers, right? Like that was a huge part of this, in my opinion. I think the tempo piece was big. I think put Georgia's defense in a position that they just haven't been in, and that led to some of the yeah. kind of like you know miss you know uh, mishaps on the back end. So I do think no, that Bama. One hundred percent. I think actually the first thing that I stuck out to me in the championship game was like, I think the Jordan Davis is on the field a whole lot more than a he's ton, and they is. kept him on the field, and that and was, he like was obviously winded. like exactly. It was very obvious that he was gassed, and I, I do think that there's a, an element of that, and we saw that when we played Cincinnati, right? Like mm -hmm. this is a team that wants to play cover one and play tight coverage on everybody, but mm -hmm. we're just going to go fast and start hiding our best players, and now we're going to be playing peekaboo with you in the passing game, yeah. and that opens up space in the run game. So I do think that Alabama will have something sound, you know, like I, I don't want to frame my take on this game like I'm expecting a Georgia ass whooping of yeah. Alabama um, but I do think that if we're talking if, if I'm going to talk about like potential outcomes right like if I'm going to be Dr. Strange here and look at all the different ways that this game can go I come back on average to Georgia controls the game the way that they were supposed to after they go up a couple possessions in the first quarter in the SEC title game. You know, that busted coverage ended up changing a bunch. You stall out on offense for two or three possessions, and Alabama just marches down the field, explosive play after explosive play, and scores. I don't think that stretch of the game happens in the way that it does. And I think that because of that, some of the things that you would be most concerned about as a Georgia fan, like Will Anderson just eating Stetson Bennett's lunch, it might not be as big of a factor. Now, I will say, if they're chasing again, there's no so, way that I'm trusting Stetson Bitten, Stetson Bitten to get them back in this football game. If they're down two possessions, it's a wrap. Dr. Strange is from Marvel. Austin, I know you don't watch those movies. Uh, <laughs> um, what do we? What are the chances we see the JT Daniels off the bench come back for a Georgia championship in, in, in the same way that, that Alabama did it to Georgia with Tua coming off the bench a few years ago. Is that Can I say I have a take, and this is me as JT Daniels supporter. Seth knows this, super uh -oh. JT Daniels supporter. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. If JT Daniels comes off the bench and into this game, Georgia is cooked. That's my take. <laughs> that's my take. Okay? I agree. Right. Like, that's I mean, just that's where it. I'm at with it. If you can't beat Stetson Bennett out up until the point of the championship game, why in the hell would I believe that when the lights are the absolute brightest that you are all of a sudden going to be somebody that you clearly haven't been at any point this season? And Stetson Bennett has played well, right? I mean, right. I, you look at some of the accuracy charting at PFF, and from a clean pocket, I think he ranks third in like lowest percentage of inaccurate throws. Like He's been very accurate with the football. He has pushed the ball on the field. He has been aggressive in spots. I, I do agree, though, that this comes down to, like if you get punched in the teeth and, and Bama runs tempo and Bama starts scoring like they can score – this Georgia team's not ready for that fucking noise. They're not ready to to go like toe to toe and like kind of like a scoring barrage that that was. They need to grind it out and do exactly what they did against Michigan. They go up to 14-0 against Michigan. That game was over. Like over over. And you force them out of your hand and they got Cade McNamara is not nearly the quarter not nearly the quarterback that Bryce Young is and that game's done. 
Georgia needs to have that kind of energy early and force Bama into a situation where they can be a little bit less, you know, I mean, more, more, more um, predictable and that stuff. But if Georgia doesn't get out to a lead, I think there is some concern there because Bama can score in a hurry. They've always been able to score in a hurry, and they've proved that this year too. Oh, one thing that I noticed rewatching the game was the tempo plus, I thought, unlike in the Cincinnati game where they got into bunch sets, they did get into bunch. I mean, this is what they do. This is what Alabama does. But I, I did feel like they were very spread. Like slot receivers were as wide as they possibly could. And I think it created a lot of one-on-ones. Um, you know, we talk about this, me and Deontay talk about this all the time. Like the more spread you are, the more one-on-ones you're going to get. And it alleviated some parts of the field for Alabama to work into. Um, there was a nice little option route from the, they put like three players into the short side of the field, let their two slot receivers, I think one, I think I, uh, I'm not sure it was Mechie or, or Jameson. Mechie's obviously not playing this week. Let him wide, wide, wide to the wide side and then let him run the option route. There's no one in the middle of the field because they want to play with two high safeties. The Mike linebacker, he's got to go all the way to the boundary. You have the space in the middle of the field. I thought that was something that they that they will try to do again. And especially if, if Georgia feels like they can just still sit in too high, they're going to give up some middle of the field short. And then, um, you know, like in saw on this one particular play, uh, they were able to to create space on the inside and get a completion there. So that, that was a cool thing, like the tempo plus the spread, I thought was really interesting. Uh, so, yeah, final predictions. You know, uh, this is it. This is our last time we'll talk to you guys. Uh, speaking to the listeners right now, talk to you guys before the championship game. Austin, prediction? Yeah, I think this one's going to be Bama winning, obviously. I think it's going to be 34-20 Bama in a, in a big win. I think Bama does roll this one. I think that this one is going the exact same way the 2017 one goes. I think it's going to overtime, and I'm going to pick it to be 28-21 Georgia. Wow. And then I'm, gonna, then I'm really going to get my heart broken because two days after, Caleb Williams is going to announce that he's transferring to Georgia too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'll say something like 20 – this is crazy. I'm going to say like 28-17 for Georgia. I, I do think – Alabama has played with fire the whole year on offense. They've had some bad games on offense, and I think this could be another one. You know, obviously not having John Mitchie there. Uh, this one, unlike they did uh, a couple a month ago. All right, Austin Gale, not Austin Collinsworth. Austin Gale, this was an absolute pleasure. Uh, where, where can the people find you? Dude, that's uh, find me on your guys' podcast, okay? I'm not shouting any shit out, dude. Go to Too High. Too High is awesome. I love you guys' show. Uh, I really appreciate you guys letting me on. I remember having to reach out to fucking get on this damn show. It's a hot commodity. <laughs> so, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. This has been fantastic. You guys are some of the smartest people I know. Definitely the smartest people at the company. Sands, Austin Collinsworth, obviously. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, see you guys.